0: Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker, and I'm here in front of a live audience at the Malvern Festival of Innovation with today's guest. She says she was an archetypal good girl and followed the traditional path, head girl, uni, job, married, kids, career, all ticked off the list by the time she was 30. She was living the dream, except it wasn't bliss nor a nightmare. She felt like she was coasting. By 35, she was divorced, left her job, sold her house and started again, and that's when she says she started living. She now works with leaders and their teams to build organisations they are proud of. She's an author, podcast host and regular BBC radio contributor and her clients include private clients all the way up to international conglomerates. Her initial curiosity was why do people behave the way they do and this led her to discover what shapes a leader, teams and high performance. She is Lucy Barkas. Hello.
1: Hi. <laughs> How wow, are you Wow, that was quite an introduction. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. Uh, Well, first of all, uh, I'll just give you our website. First of all, your website is threewh.uk.com. Yep, that's me. Yeah. So people can head there and uh, and find you and how to contact you and everything like that. So, well, um, thank you very much for coming and doing this.
1: Well, it's the first First time I've ever done one live, so I'm quite excited. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's cool. Well, me too, as well. (laughs) You're (laughs) doing well. We're both (laughs) in the same boat. Uh, No, I appreciate it because it looks like you've got. You know, you've got a lot going on. You're busy.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever been busier in my life, but really? I've never been happier either. So, oh, uh, yeah? so yeah, it's all good.
0: Okay, good, excellent. So, um, let's hear a bit about you first of all. Then you you're from Worcestershire originally, um, right? Or?
1: Well, technically, it's Herefordshire, but Ooh. it's um, a small <laughs> town um, called Bromyard, right oh, yeah, on yep. the border. Um, so, growing up, it was Herefordshire and Worcestershire. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Herefordshire pulled us over, but yeah, um, I've been in Worcester. Eighteen years now, okay. um, but in between, I lived in Nottingham for about eight years. So, oh right, okay. Um, so I went away, but then came home. He
0: came back. Yeah, yeah, okay. The pull of Worcester. Yeah. People love Worcester, don't they? Who live in Worcester?
1: Well, it was one of those things. Um, I went to sixth form in Hereford, um, but I always wished I was hanging out with the cool kids in Worcester. <laughs> and um, and when I lived in Nottingham, I came back when I got pregnant. I wanted them to have the same life that I had, really. Okay. But living in a rural place, I remember how bored I was because mm-hmm. um, I f- always felt like I was a big fish in a small pond. Um, so going from Bromyard to Nottingham, I thought, right, where, where would be a good place? And Worcester just, well, at the time, it was like, it needs to be near a motorway, tick. Mm-hmm. It's got to have a 24-hour supermarket, tick. And it's got to have decent takeaways, tick. <laughs> so that's what brought me back home, and I won't leave now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, growing up in Bromyard, then I guess I mean Bromyard's quite a small town now. What how? What was it? You said it was kind of, you, you, you know, you felt that boredom when you were a kid. Is that? It was beautiful kind of until was, I was or? fourteen, I'd say. Right. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: Because it was idyllic, and um, <laughs> and I'm a bit of a cliche in the sense that I've got um, come from a huge family in Bromyard. Right. Um, so I just went to school with my cousins, um, yeah. but then you had to be really careful that you weren't dating a second cousin by accident (laughs) and stuff, it all got a bit tricky. Um, But yeah, you know, bike rides, playing in the fields, making dams in the streams, it was idyllic. But by 14, I'd done it all. I was bored. Um, And yeah, I just wanted to get out there into the world. Uh, And yeah, it's lovely. I love going back and visiting, but I don't think I can ever live there again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to that, that's about that age, isn't it, where you sort of just Want to do something a bit cooler? Yeah. I grew up in a village as well, and you uh, get me then. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand uh, totally what you mean because it's just not. Yeah, I, mean, I I wanted to do like skating and stuff, and it was like <laughs> nowhere to skate.
1: No. Well, I, it was even <laughs> things that like I remember. Um, I went out on a date with a boy yeah. and uh, we, we got on the bus to go to Worcester and we, I think we went to see the bodyguard, it was that long ago. <laughs> but we had to go and see something like the 12 o'clock one because the last bus back was 4 o'clock. <laughs> I like, oh, there's got to be an easier way. Um, so yeah, I just wanted social life, I wanted a date, I wanted to just, yeah, explore.
0: Yeah, okay, okay. And it sounds like you were a good student at school, is that right?
1: Well, yeah, I was. Um, I was curious and I was the good girl. Um, but, and so yeah, I came out with all my GCSEs and did really well. But when I got made Head Girl, at that time it, it was selected by the teachers. I didn't have to do a campaign. So when they announced my name, I was just completely shocked. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and to be fair, this is still half my life. Every time I get a gig or somebody asks me to do something, I'm like, really me, this girl from Bromyard? <laughs> um, so I still have that small town mentality in me, I guess. Right, um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I did. I did all the right things, you know. I was I was the good girl. I studied, um, but I was also a bit rebellious and and didn't right. toe the line as well. Hence okay. why I suppose I run my own business.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 We'll get to. That yeah. <laughs> <I think. laughs> okay. So um, yeah, and that kind of that's kind of imposter syndrome, I guess, that you're talking Hugely. about there, isn't it? With yeah. um, feeling like that, and that's never left or has it? Yeah, and I
1: think it was because all of the the kind of people or the careers that I wanted to do. There was no, nobody in the town that knew anything about it. Right. So, you know, I wanted to be a journalist, but I was being told, oh, well, you have to go to London for that, and London's a scary place. <laughs> then I wanted to become a diplomat and solve world problems. But, like, well, nobody works in government. And so everything that I was thinking of, it was just, it was a small town mentality, mm-hmm. but I had big dreams. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, everything got stifled, but yeah, I suppose that small town Is still in my brain somewhere. Like I said, I'm just a girl from Bromyard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think that kind of limits you then sometimes in your own or you limit yourself? I mean.
1: Um um, less so now, mm -hmm. but um it it did for a long time. And um I hate doing anything on video. Um, I I love podcasts because nobody can (laughs) see my face, but but every time you know they say, Oh, you've got to do videos and you've got to do this, that, and the other. I put the camera up and I just freeze, right. and I think it's that being visible thing, that imposter syndrome, that being visible. Who am I, this small town girl, to be on this big stage? Um, so yeah, there's a lot, lot to unpack, but I'm, I'm busting it as much as I can every time I feel yeah. the fear. I try and do it anyway.
0: Excellent, yeah, yeah, okay. So did you kind of fly through your exams and everything like that, um, a level GCS. Oh, no, A-levels, I got to no.
1: a city and there was drinking and there was boys and there was discos <laughs> and so I did appalling. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I got the grades I needed to right, get into okay. uni, yeah. but um, in hindsight, I probably could have got two or three, four grades above. Right, um, okay. So, and that was the thing i had been felt so suppressed for so long. That when I got the opportunity to get out there, I hit it large. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right, okay. Excellent. What, was that in Worcester, was it? Or oh, yeah. that was in Hereford. So there wasn't oh, much was, I could sorry do. Sorry, said, yeah, yeah. But
1: yeah, yeah then, um, then I went to um, Nottingham, um, okay. and that, yeah, the world just opened up to me then. And it was just amazing. Right. And I got a decent degree there. I, I kind of grew up a little bit.
0: Right, okay. What did you study at Nottingham? Well, I
1: did social sciences um, and thought I'd go down the psychology route, uh, but actually became more fascinated in the politics, economics and sociology. Okay. Um, and, I, and I don't know where I went down that route or how it got there, but I think I've always been interested in, yeah, like I said, why do people behave the way they do and mm-hmm. how do we all kind of coexist? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been a bit of a central theme throughout my life. And, and maybe it was growing up in Bromley, where it was this microorganism that everybody knew everybody's <laughs> business. Um but now I just do it with leaders, teams, and um it's just got a a bit like a niche that's that's how I look at the world now mm-hmm. um but yeah, I've always been fascinated in just how how this organism how we all just kind of get on <laughs> or don't get on
0: yeah yeah, okay okay so then uh, out of uni what what did you do out of uni uh, well you... it
1: was um it was a bit of a tough time because it was um there was a recession on at the time, and um so all of the graduate recruitment and placements just dried up right? Um, and my idea at that time was to go into HR because okay. I was like I want to do the people stuff okay. and you know yeah, yeah. Um, but I just couldn't get any of the roles and so I took a um, temping job and way back then it was at East Midlands Electricity because it hadn't even gone you know um, <laughs> internationalization at that stage showing my yeah. age um, <laughs> So yeah, so I was um, the person who was phoning people saying you haven't paid your bill. Unless you pay, we're going to put uh, a meter in, and oh, I hated tough, that. Tough it calls. was yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> awful. Um, but we had some giggles along the way because we find all the people with these silly fake names and you know set up accounts, and so we had some silliness. But, but
0: that's but good, quite good sort of training though at that age to be phoning up and making those, yeah, you well, know, having those tough conversations. It with really people.
1: was, and you know, there were some people who um, were literally just. Taking the mick. But then there were some really awful stories where yeah. people were in real poverty. Um, so it yeah, it, it taught me to be ruthless when I needed to be, but always have a heart and always have compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was yeah, when I was 21. But I've got to admit, um, there was always the call into the business side. And right. so after about a year, I wanted to do the same kind of job, but I wanted to do it with business customers. Okay. Um and that was brilliant. So yeah, I moved site and and I quickly went up the ranks very very quickly. I had no right. management training, but suddenly I was in charge of forty people right. making so many mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> um, textbook stuff. Um, but again, yeah, there was nobody to teach me how to do it any differently. Okay. Um, but I loved it. But yeah, it was basically learn quick.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So. Um what then brings you to running your own business from from that point then
1: well um i think the first time the idea of having my own business came after i'd had my um my first daughter okay so at that stage i'd moved back down to worcester but i was working in energy trading in coventry so i was commuting every day so i saw the the m42 you know day in day out <laughs> leaving <laughs> in the dark returning in the dark and right. Um, and although it looked great on the CV, because it was all like this buy-sell kind of stuff, it was all very exciting. Um, yeah, I was just not living my best life. Mm-hmm. And it was at that stage where I thought, oh, I'll open a coffee shop, I'll become oh, yeah. a gardener. So I was oh, doing yeah, okay. all the really, you know, I want to say low-hanging fruits, but, but the stuff that I didn't need any skills to be able to do. And I looked at all the numbers with my business head on and just thought, no, this isn't gonna work. Because I was the breadwinner. I was still married at the time, but I was the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just put that to the back of my mind. Um, and So I managed to get a job at Empower. Um, So that worked out beautifully for about seven years. I worked in Worcester, I lived in Worcester, my children were in Worcester, it was perfect. Um, And then, I think it was 2013, they were doing a restructure and they needed to save 20% OPEX. Um, and they tasked me with working out how I could do that. And I looked at all the numbers and I, I didn't want anybody to be pushed out. It was, again, that empathy, peace and compassion. Right. And I looked at the numbers and I worked out that if I exited the business, hmm. then that would be the t- 20% OPEX done. I really um, <laughs> so I basically said, okay, if I if I go, what yeah. would be my package? Right. And they show me the numbers, I'm like, I'm taking that. <laughs> um, so I just thought it's now or never. Right. Okay. Um, so I think it would always been there in my mind that I wanted to do my own business, but it was just all about timing. And yes, I got the uh, mortgage. Um, I, Me and my husband had split up at that time, so I had nobody telling me I was being reckless or stupid. <laughs> um, and I just did it. And I thought I've got two years, based on the money I had, I've got two years to make it work or just go okay. back into work. Um, and I think I'm unemployable now.
0: Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> loving it. So, uh, what, what do you think it was that kind of sparked that, or, or what created that desire to, to run your own business? Because a lot of people, you know, get to that stage and think, I'll try and find another another job mm. that'll be better or, you know, I'll phone a recruitment company and just see what, see what I can do. Yeah, what, what, well,
1: I, I initially did do that um, yeah. in the sense that I was going for other jobs just in case. And then um, none of them were, were getting me excited and passionate. Right. And um, But my, my mum... Um, owned her own business and um, oh, right. so okay. it was uh, she, she ran the, the school kitchens um, okay. so it was only during like lunch times and stuff but I'd, I'd help her do the menus and we'd go to book her and I'd see all these like amazing okay. things and um, I'd see her, you know help her count all the money at the end of it um, and my dad um, although my, my stepdad was the managing director of an engineering company um, so he taught me all about business. And I used to go and play in his boardroom and get really right, excited. Okay. Um, but my at, uh, my real dad was a builder who's always been self-employed again. Okay. So I don't think it was en- anything that was scary for me because so many of my uncles and aunts and parents had always done that. So it wasn't scary. But, um, yeah, when you've got the family responsibilities, it is a big step. But, yeah, yeah for me, I don't think it was, it was ever a... <gasps> You know, don't be ridiculous. Okay, because you've
0: kind of been surrounded by yeah. it to some extent. And uh, yeah, and, and you've seen it in a, in a positive yeah, light. Totally. Yeah, okay, right. So did you know what business you wanted to set up at that point when you No, left I had no idea. Uh,
1: well, I did in the sense that um, before I actually left, I went round to everybody that I knew and I, I did some market research. And I just said, what are the three things that you think of when you think of me? And the words were like, you're an inspirer, you're a motivator, you're visionary. And then one person said, you're a coach. I was like, wow, okay, I hadn't even (laughs) thought about that. Because I'd had some basic training um, at work, but I'd never really thought about it. And um, so I went and explored, what is this thing called coaching? Um, And that was it, I just signed up for a year's course and went and threw myself into it. And to be honest, the first year of my business, I was like, that's it. I'm never going to work with an organization again. (laughs) Threw out my suits, got rid of my briefcases. um, And I started on the life uh, coaching journey. Right. And it's so not me. Right. Um, Because (laughs) what I wanted to do was shake a lot of the people and say, what are you doing with your life? That's not what you're supposed to do.
0: You're not allowed to do that. No, exactly.
1: (laughs) And and there was so much pain in the world as well. And people like really um, living you know what I say smaller lives because they've they've trapped themselves and that was just never me. Right. Um I was always I was I'm an optimist. You can always get out of stuff. Um so the one thing that I realised within that first year was I missed being with people.
0: Right. I okay. missed
1: working as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where somebody, my own coach actually said, well put all the parts together, Lucy. It's not hard. Mm. Of course, me being the client, her being the coach, she could <laughs> see it, but I couldn't see it that actually all the jigsaw pieces were there and working with leaders and their teams to drive thriving businesses, um, to you know create, I call them organisms, but cultures mm-hmm. where people are happy and thriving, it just totally made sense. But it took me right. a good year to get there.
0: Right, okay, and in that time you're kind of getting through your financial runway a little yeah. bit
1: oh yeah <laughs> I wasn't making any any money at all um and you know I, I think like when I started out I was charging like 20 pounds an hour and then I put it up to 50 and still felt like a fraud um <laughs> whereas now when I'm doing what I'm doing I'm I'm charging a a decent income yeah. um and I don't feel guilt or shame about that because I know I'm making a difference now
0: Right, okay, because you've seen the results Absolutely. And, uh, and, and you know it works. Yeah,
1: and yeah, my clients tell me, and they come back two or three years later and say, wow, because of that work you did or because of this, this is where we are now. Um, because it's not an instant thing, you know, I can do some development with somebody, but then they have to do the work themselves. So it's usually two or three years later that I'm like, yeah, right, yeah, okay. I, I lit that that spark or I gave that word of encouragement or you know, whatever it is I did for the client and now look at where they are. Yeah, so cause
0: that's a tricky thing with uh, coaching, isn't it? Um, you don't know if they're gonna do the work to yeah,
1: totally. actually
0: make it make it work. And mm. if they don't, then it can reflect badly on you. So you've got to, do you have to kind of choose the right clients carefully they to make sure? They choose me now. Um, yeah. and
1: I think because of whether it's my book or my podcast or my reputation, when they meet me, they just know, okay, L- Lucy's kind, but she's tough Um, and she's patient until it's time not to be patient. Um, So they they realize that actually if if they come to me, I'm gonna hold them accountable. Um, But when I work with the teams, we generally work together for nine to 12 months. So it's not just me holding them accountable, it's all of their peers as well and all the people in that room. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I really get a lot of traction. Um, But when we talk about niche, I, I learned quite quickly that I don't want to work with the huge organizations mm-hmm. because to make change happen there, you're looking at five, six years and then they get a new CEO and a new strategy <laughs> and you have to start all over again. Right, so yeah. um, I like to work with leaders who have got at least three tiers um, between them and their, their uh, core workers. Mm-hmm. But so um, And generally between about 50 and 250 people. So if they want to do something different, They've got the autonomy to make it happen, and then mm-hmm. just with the right people, they can make change happen quickly. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's why I went into that niche.
0: Right. Okay. Got you. So, so yeah. So you're quite specific about the size of business that you yeah. that you work with, the mm. the type, the sector. Or? Um.
1: Any, so, um, I'm very clear. I don't work with public sector. Right. Um, and I've tried and again it just doesn't work no and they they say you know they need people like you Lucy but then I just remember saying to one of the clients um so what are your goals well it's whatever the government tells us yeah I can't work with this yeah um so they need to be people who have got the autonomy to really want to make a difference they're they're dreamers they're, they're visionaries
0: yeah okay okay um and how, are people, how do people find you these days? Because you've got the book and you've got the podcast. Which mm. came first, did the book come first? Uh,
1: well, the book was written first, but mm. the podcast was only supposed to be a six week um, marketing ploy, okay. um, where um, uh, Hirstie interviewed me um, about right. my book. I was the guest and we, we talk about Gen X and generational differences in leadership. Um, and I loved it so much um, that then I started interviewing other people. So okay. it all happened at right. the same time. Um, So now, Leader X, which is the name of the book and the name of the podcast, it's just a thing. So that has attracted so many more people. Um, You know, I'm getting calls and contacts all the time from people saying, I've just heard your podcast or I saw that book. Um, But then a lot of the other business is just through referrals. Um, So maybe somebody I worked with four or five years ago has now moved on, they've been promoted, and they say, we need you in our company now, Lucy. so I'm, I'm blessed the work yeah, is yeah. a testament to the fact that I, I'm just keep growing
0: yeah great and I mean yeah leader X as is a, is a good name <laughs> <Did you> yeah
1: <laughs> it, that took some going round but um, that my first interest was really I was seeing that as the baby boomers were um, getting to the stage where they were going to be retiring there was this new generation of leaders that needed to step up um, and they were Gen X or, the oldest millennials, which are called with it beginning with an X. So right, just okay. like, well oh, that's easy, it's just leader Comes X. together,
0: well, okay, yeah, so so
1: Sometimes plan just works.
0: Again, people sort of know that you're the the person for them. Yeah, Do that you call generation. yourself coach, or?
1: Um, I, uh, my job title is lead, leadership and team development um, consultant, okay. but it's all coaching skills that get people to move from here to there, so. Um, okay. But yeah, basically it's leadership and team development.
0: And what are so, sort of some of the common things that you'll put right first when someone comes to you and you go into the business? I guess you spend a bit of time understanding yeah. the business. and
1: Well, I have to understand something. the team first. Okay. So um, you generally you'll go in and the leader will say, yeah, the problem around here is not me, it's them. They're not doing their work, they're no. not <laughs> delivering. And then we get them all together and um, through team diagnostics and stuff and we realise actually there's no trust. They're not having challenging debates. It's often autocratic um, or, you know, the people don't have the courage to speak up. So the first thing we do is just work at work at teamwork at that mm-hmm. top level. And then we start looking at, well, how do you create the right culture? We look at conversational um, skills. Because again, I don't know whether it's a very British thing, mm. but we don't like having the tough conversations. Is so we right? just, yeah. oh, I mean, people just allow bad performance or gossiping, or backstabbing, all of those negative, political, awful behaviors. Yeah. They just allow them to breed, because they right. don't want to have the tough conversations. So we spend a lot on that, a lot on feedback, um, and yeah, it, it's really the cultural stuff that I'm fascinated with.
0: Right, okay. Do you think other nations are, are better at those tough conversations? Oh, without a doubt. Really? Um,
1: I was working with the Maltese um, group and uh, and I suppose maybe a bit more Italian in their sense of, or Mediterranean, but they just come out and say it. And really, it's yeah. all out yeah. in the open and <laughs> they give each other a hug and then they just get on with business.
0: We sort of bottle it up and then exactly. eventually like lose the plot or something.
1: Yeah, we're all just too nice and too polite. And I say to everybody, you can still be nice when you give tough feedback or have that difficult conversation. Um, but you've got to have it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So how what how do you do you sort of have some recommendations then for people doing that, because I, I like to think that I can do that, like you can have the tough conversations, but still be friendly with people. But it's it's tricky, isn't it? It's
1: really tricky. Um, so we do a lot about, um, uh, the, the model that I use is called the Five miles model, so the, the first section is uh, my presence, so that's the that diagnostic bit. Mm. And then the second bit is all myself. So looking at what is your style, what are your fears, what are your strengths? Uh, what are your values and beliefs, and once somebody understands who they are and what they stand for, then they're able to actually stand in that place um, and have the difficult conversations because they've got a really um, strong sense of self.
0: Okay, and right. And that's yeah, yeah. what
1: that's the essential bit for me. But if somebody is driven by fear or ego, or, um, and they're they're not being uh, real with somebody. Then they're just scared that they're going to break the relationship, or mm-hmm. they're not—they don't feel safe with somebody else's emotions. Um, so, yeah, it's not that hard, but you've got to do the work on yourself first.
0: It's kind of a inside to outside Absolutely. Sort of approach. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. And that and that in itself is a tough conversation for you to have with them, yeah. I suppose, is it?
1: Yeah. And so. Um, I think because I've done leadership and I've made a lot of those mistakes before, um, I think sometimes because I'm a woman as well, and, um, and it does help me in that way when I'm dealing with um, some of the, the the top powerful men who are still in, in those roles, mm-hmm. hearing the message coming from me sometimes is softer. Um, right. Even though I'm being very brutal at times, yeah. <laughs> hearing it in my language in the way that I can connect with that empathy works but I'm really just holding a mirror up to them and asking Mm. them to look and see what's really there. Um, And so, yeah, creating that safe, trusted environment to do that. I think that's probably my superpower over any of the other skills. That's probably what I'm best at.
0: Being able to make them feel comfortable with you sort of holding that mirror up. Yeah, building that trust
1: really quickly um, and that safe space, yeah.
0: Right, okay, okay. Uh, can I ask you about the book writing process and yeah. everything? I hated it <laughs> Did every you? minute of it. Right. Okay. Tell us. <laughs> why. Um,
1: I think I'd gone to university, so I'd been taught how to write essays. So when I first started writing the book, it was almost like I was trying to write a PhD. Mm. And so I was quoting all these other people, and you know, trying to sound very, very businesslike and very intelligent. <laughs> and um, and I ended up coming up with eighty thousand words, and you know that's just too much for anybody to read. Um, And so then I got an editor who looked at it and said like, where's your voice Lucy? When I talk to you, you talk to me like you're talking to me down the pub. And then when I read this (laughs) thing, it sounds nothing like you. So then I almost had to go back and rewrite everything, but in my voice. And actually that's when I started to enjoy it. Um, When I started being real, you know, doing the self development work on myself. (laughs) Um, And then I enjoyed it and still when i sent that final ma- manuscript to um the editor i literally just wanted to go and hide away i didn't really? want feedback i didn't want to talk to anybody <laughs> i was i was petrified
0: because oh, it's so personal
1: really personal because i was telling oh, a lot yeah. of my stories and my beliefs about what leadership is and and i still had the imposter syndrome of my um my english teacher from um, high school telling me you're not very creative, Lucy, mm. you're not a very mm. good writer.
0: Interesting. And it was still yeah.
1: there in the back of my head. Yeah. Um, and then the manuscript came back, um, with all the edits on and said, this is a brilliant book, oh, and yeah. I was like, <laughs> yay. Um, uh, but it was actually um, released on the 26th of March 2020, which all was right. supposed to be <laughs> a huge big launch party, and on the 23rd, sorry, life's canceled. Nothing. <laughs> um, so, I still had to go out there on social media and do the big launch, but actually, I could hide behind a screen and do it, so right, it felt a bit Right, was that a bit better? But <laughs> but it's been brilliant yeah. since, um, yeah. and in a way, I wish I'd done it years ago.
0: Really, yeah, mm. I guess, especially with what you're doing, it gives you that authority, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, when you come in and, and Yeah, and it's an the expert. best business
1: card ever, Yeah. because yeah. I just give the book away to as many people, yeah. and just, you know, they've got it there, so. Um, I highly recommend it. If you want to go through the two years of pain uh, to get there, <laughs> it's totally worth,
0: it's it. worth it. okay. Well, look, we're coming up for the half hour. Awesome. which we, We've got, got a half hour slot. Um, I haven't briefed anyone on this, but I wondered if anyone in the audience has got a question for Lucy yeah. before we sort of wrap up. There we go. How do you find it if
1: you've been brought in by the top person in the company and the team is suspicious that you're there for a particular agenda? Yeah, so... Um,
0: should we just repeat the question? Yeah, I was going to repeat the, uh, it, yeah. the podcast, yeah, brilliant. So,
1: yeah, what do I do if um, I'm brought in by the top honcho and everyone has got low trust? Um, it's really hard, I'm not going to lie. Um, but the first thing I do is I actually say to the top person, I'm going to take your team out. I want a day with them on on my own with them so I can build the trust. And it's at that point that I get to understand the real issues. But then I, I make sure that... Um, the, the top leader is involved in every single session thereafter. Um, but it's really important for me in that diagnostic session to do one-to-one interviews, to maybe have these little forums, because um, they need to know that I'm on their side as much as I am on the leader's side. Um, and I tell the leader that as well. Um, before I work with you, you're just one of the team. I'm not, you know, jumping on your orders. We're here to do proper work. Mm-hmm. And the ones who don't like it don't hire me. And that's fine, because I don't <laughs> want to work with them either.
0: Right, okay, excellent, thank you. Well, okay. yeah, people can uh, find you at 3wh.uk.com. Yeah,
1: or just search the hashtag LeaderX, LeaderX. That's I was going
0: to ask, what's 3wh? Uh, oh, I is don't know if I'm st- making myself look stupid no, here. No, this is a really okay. funny story. <laughs>
1: Perfect um, mistake of owning a business. Okay. Um, early start-up. Um, I, I was going around all the names and I came up with, oh, I asked questions, so I'll, it'll be what, when, why, how. So I registered it straight away, what, when, why, how, limited, and none of my clients could remember what it was. <laughs> so it's 3WH for short. Okay, gotcha, go. <laughs> excellent. So
0: 3WH.co.com, you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's my Lots preferred place. On, yeah, 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 excellent. You've got a Twitter handle as well, but go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn's my place, Especially Twitter's yeah. not working, Facebook occasionally. Yeah. As well, and obviously, your book uh, is on Amazon and at all the good local yeah, bookshops, I should think, as well, leader X. But um, no, thanks once again for coming in and doing this. It's been fantastic. Awesome, thank Cheers. you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.